everybody. Welcome to Muzzle with Merrimack. I'm Captain Chris, here with Dan Dio Daddy. What's going on, man? How you doing? Doing good, buddy. It's been a few weeks. No, I think we had the Justin one was last week. We put it up there, so oh, I think right. we recorded it two weeks ago. It took yep. a while to get yep, it up. Definitely. And it's nice when we get these little clusters of podcasts and, you know, some good conversation keeps the juices flowing. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of the juices flowing, our guy today here, we got the old Kyle Davis, our good friend. How's it going, Kyle? What's up, boys? How you doing? Not much. Come a little bit closer to the mic, I think. <laughs> all, right, all, right. <laughs> all right. You got it. I don't know. Do you have to, do we need to put you on a stand or something to get it up to you? Yeah, Kyle's like, how tall something. are you? Seven two. Five foot eighteen inches. Five foot eighteen inches. <laughs> <laughs> What's going oh, on, funny. man? Thanks for coming down tonight. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, last time I saw you was when we went tuna fishing, right? Yeah. Was that the last time we saw each other? Yeah, last yeah. time. First time I ever got seasick. Yeah. <laughs> first day in the new boat, too, right? First day in the new boat. Well, I think part of that was because of the new boat, right? Like it was the bigger sea than you would normally go out in, and we flew out there. It was rough. And I'll never forget, like. Uh, so, all right, we'll give the little backstory, uh, Chris. You know, so all three of us on this on this podcast right now own a pair of customs. Yeah, that's true. I have a twenty-one mod V. Chris has a twenty-four mod V, and then Kyle goes out and, and just throws his throws his D on the table and gets a twenty-four DV with a tower. You know, he says he's got this boat with the tower and it's coming in and it's going to be delivered by eleven p.m. And what do we do? We get everything together and we leave Crossroads at 1 a.m. to head down to the, the Cape to go out to the Regal Sword. Yeah, man. I, I feel like we literally saw the boat. We're like, oh, it looks cool. Let's throw all the safety gear on it. Whenever we scrounge together, I grabbed shit off of my boat. You had stuff from your boat. Yep. And we're like, all right, hope we got everything. Let's go. Boom, yeah, one o'clock in the morning. It was like a go-to. I remember uh, you didn't have the, the connector for the trailer hookup. I had a spare one. And it was like, all right, cool. We got lights of the trailer. Perfect. I still have it. It's still yeah. hanging. Oh, it's all yours, buddy. It's all good. It's and, then, uh, and then we go down there. And we launch out of Bass River. And then we're leaving. And no one knew how to turn the light lights on on the boat oh did you get that fixed i yeah, yeah. Uh, was it a fuse it was just a loose connection on the back oh okay yeah. was it the running lights i can't even remember yeah actually uh that i think the next day i grabbed the uh the back wires to the running lights the switch i just jiggled it and the lights popped on oh okay i don't know how that wiggled loose but uh yeah, it could have been in transport. Well, yeah, literally just got trailered from North Carolina for town. Yeah, it was jostling around on a trailer. It did get a the trailer the tire blew out, right? Yeah, blow out on the way. Yep. In New York. Yeah. Oh yeah, when it was pulling it up here, right? That's yeah, why I was a little late. I thought he was joking. He was uh telling me we had a blowout and I thought it was a joke, but it, it made it. Yeah. It sure uh. made it. And then, oh my God! So what else? I remember we were trying to fuck around with the Garmin to get it going, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> we were reading like 500 feet of water, like right off the ramp. Yeah. Me and Dan are like, get this goddamn thing out of here. <laughs> well, the Garmin's are tough because like that's all touchscreen. There's no buttons too, so it's kind of like right. It doesn't have any buttons on it. No, it's all touchscreen. Yeah, yeah. So like navigating through that thing, trying to figure it out, we're coming from both being Humminbird users, and you had you had different electronics, right? You had Simrad, yeah. It was uh, it was tough to just. I think it was the most half-ass put together trip I did all year. Yeah. Well, typically, you know, you you take a boat out and do a little sea trial or get to know it <laughs> before you just go into the Cape and commit to a forty-five mile haul. But you know, but we did it. Yeah. But we did it. And we were driving down there like anyone check the weather <laughs> <laughs> well dude that was like the craziest part right because it was like calling for i don't know what it was like saying it was going to be like three feet at seven seconds or whatever yeah it was something like that pretty much all through offshore too and, yeah. yeah and then um I, i'll never forget so we're going like 30 miles an hour in your boat we're just cutting through everything like butter because the boat's just amazing me and dan are just laughing like little girls yeah. like oh my god 
this is sick. And then Chris and Chris and I are talking. Kyle's driving, and we're like, you know, it's not that bad. And then we we look off we look off the uh, the starboard side, and I just see a wave that goes by us, and like everything disappears. And I'm like, I mean, Chris just looked at each other like, holy shit. It ended up being it was four feet of four seconds. Yeah, it ended up being four feet of four seconds real time while we were out there. And uh, yeah, I was super impressed just being able to. It drove completely different than my boat does my mod v does um i don't think we probably could have made the trip in my boat but it would have taken us a lot longer to get out there i probably would have been going around 20 on the way out so that was one of the things for my next boat do i stick with the mod v with the tower or do i get the deep v and and the fact was because we were jigging when we were out there sure. and then when we were out there the swells were pretty big and um yeah. all three of us you know we're pretty big guys well you guys are at least tall i'm just big and uh we weren't listing at all and that was my concern with the deep v with how i fish up here you know my charters with the drift in the mouth and whatnot i didn't want that tippy feeling and i don't know what brian did down there but man. yeah well it's uh we were just talking about it before the podcast like the uh it has a sharp dead rise but in the keel it's actually flat so it comes down like it's got to be has, has something to do with the stability of the boat because it doesn't tip like other dps now i didn't notice kyle does that keel is that flat all the way to the bow no, not all the way. I think I'd say like halfway. About halfway. Yeah. About halfway. Yeah. I think that's got to be. That has to be the difference. Yeah, it has to be the reason why. I mean, I haven't really seen under the under other boats like that, but I mean, I thought for sure with the three of us on the one side of the boat, there was going to be all kinds of water coming through the scupper, and our toes would be wet. But it was yeah. actually it wasn't like that at all. No, no. no. I think a big shout out to Bear because I think the one thing I noticed about the boat was. Uh, just the way you know when you come off a swell and you come down, mm -hmm. you want to pucker up and brace for that yeah, pound for the rattle. And it landed very soft many times. There was a couple of that, couple that bangs whole on the way hour out, and a half on the ride out. I kept bracing myself for impact, and it never came. It reminded me when sure. I went from my pocker to my pair. I was doing the same thing uh, when I first got my pair. I, I was bracing for waves that in the parker I normally just break my back on, well, and it just never came. And then yours was like the next level of that. Yeah, if you recall, like, we got out. We got a a late start um trying to work some shit out on the way out in the pitch dark with yeah. no radar but on um, the kid that my buddy matt who ended up with my old parker yeah. he left what a couple hours before us and pulled up 20 minutes before us and got tight yeah yeah he, we pulled up just as he landed yeah and he was up. complaining about the ride out we're like yeah. oh it wasn't it wasn't that yeah, bad he got the shit beat out of him it took him you know, yeah. well over two hours he left like a, he left like an hour before us yeah we, and we got, got there, there 10 minutes before we did yeah right yep landed ashore we pulled up definitely yeah we pulled up and scared the fish away <laughs> <laughs> dude that place is like something else though man you get out there and like you know you're on this long haul and you're steaming and then all of a sudden there was like how many boats did you count i counted 96 that i could see at one point crazy yeah it was crazy i think what sucks pressure. is you know he had a day gone tomorrow the i think it was i'd say less than a week before yeah we were out and uh you know, if there was 90 boats that day, there was 300 the day before. Yeah. And the fishing was probably better than I've ever seen in my life. And, yeah. Um, it, it was cool. I, I, you know, I, I, wish, I wish we got a piece of it, but um, the day we pulled up, it was, uh, I think we, I think we pulled up and got tight within, within 10 minutes. Yeah. And yep. again, and again, and again, we, we were tight the entire day. I think we fought fish for eight to nine hours that day. And you got a bunch of uh, variety that trip, right? Like between sizes? Yeah, we did. We yeah. did. We got some. I think we were, I think the smallest fish, we, we got, they were all big fish. I think yeah. we were in the 60, 70 class inch range up to the 90 inch range. Yeah. 
and um, we got a couple we got a couple big ones to the boat <laughs> and uh, just smacked them in the ass and let them swim away and it was it was a good day yeah you've had a fair share of trips for tuna this year right I, I put some hours on the boat yeah um, well let, let's start with the whole story of Kyle because it, it's really funny because tuna fishing for you you know is pretty new right we've been doing about two years yeah I'd say about about like your two, second year yeah about maybe three years maybe two, three two or three years two years for really getting into it yeah yeah and, um, and you didn't listen to me you didn't listen to me look what happened to you yeah i wish i wish i did i think uh, <laughs> i will fi- i will never financially recover from this for, for the record anybody who's out there uh, <laughs> i said to him i go don't do it dude you get one you're you're hooked you're gonna be spending money you're gonna spend time you're you know you're not gonna see your kids uh, <laughs> it's gonna be bad yeah, business i've been very fortunate with business to allow myself to go out i think i've heard you know, I've been in touch with a lot of good guys in the, that have been fishing for as long as I've been. We've been alive. Yeah, you certainly have developed a network. For sure. I've, From I've, all the way down to the Cape to up here. You know? All the way down to the Carolinas, all the yeah. way up here. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of fishing with some guys that have just have so much knowledge about the sport. They're so knowledgeable. They've been extremely friendly and, and helpful of sharing their information. And um, it's, been a, it's been a trip. Yeah, that's what it's all about in the fishing community. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, it's okay to compete with the guy next to you, but, it, you know, everyone wants to be successful. I agree. Right? I mean, there are some people out there. You help the people out that are going to be good in the in the industry or for the for the community. You know what I mean? Like, you see guys working hard. They're really into it. They're good people. You know, you can trust them. And, you know, it's just like with anything else, obviously, you know. So you get a great network. I mean, we, you know, Kyle and I grew up together back in the day. And then, you know, when I'm, I'm a couple, two years older than you, I think, right? Two grades above you. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then so you know, I went off to college, and he did his thing and all that, and then we kind of reconnected a few years ago, and he called me up for a charter, and you know, then he was, then we were bass fishing, and he was all obsessed with that, and then, then he went through the game of the boats till he found the the one. Yeah, what's now. impressive is actually like not only are you obsessed with tuna fishing, but you're also a hell of a commercial bass fisherman, and you've joined the night fleet, so you're a night commercial bass fisherman. And I'll never forget the uh, there was one day this year I was showing up to Crossroads to get to get chum, and Kyle was weighing in his fish. It was probably like around like I don't know five, just around five a.m. And he was when I and I looked at him and I and I just just see him from like the light from inside my truck and he literally just looked like a zombie like he hadn't slept in five days and he probably hadn't. Dude, I don't know how you do it, man. Going hard three nights, working in Boston all day, manual labor. Yeah, what's that? Tell us what's that. What what is it like? Like, what's the drive? What keeps you going? I think just the. uh, I know you boys got. I know you boys are working during the day, and I know you're running charters all day. Yeah. And I think just uh, just experiencing some of those fish come alive at night yeah. is uh, it just brings me back. I've I've had some morning, I've had some unbelievable day bites with you. Yeah, um, all of us is out, and we've seen some cool stuff during the day. But at nighttime, I've just I can't stress enough how many fish seem to congregate in one area together, and um, it's just it's a drug. Yeah, I can't, I can't get enough of it. Some of that night bite. I know a bunch of guys out there. Just from from Boston down to Plymouth, all the way up. Last year we had an unbelievable year in our area. It was yeah. what was the best week poundage wise for you? There was one night Donnie and I went out and we were fishing. We got to get him on here. Yeah, those guys. I'm gonna give him a call this weekend. Man, we were fishing out and I think we weighed in our fish and 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 forgive me if I if I fudge the number a little bit, but there was one night and Donnie both of us said no one's gonna believe this weight, and I it was what it was almost 600 pounds. For 15 fish. 15 fish, yeah. We were 596. It was 15 40 pound fish, or you know, every bit of 30 to 40 pound fish. It was gross. 
Oh, we just chubby. You, we actually, you, you came down one night that was. Um, I came down one night. I'm never gonna do it again. <laughs> it, was one, it was one of the worst nights ever. That was no, yeah, it was crazy. So. Um, it's battle fishing for it sure. It definitely is battle fishing. I mean, it was a slow night fishing wise. Um, you know, you know, I do a little bit of commercial fishing and stuff, um, but I think that night just kind of put a little sour taste in my mouth, <laughs> just for how crazy <laughs> the number of boats just pounding those fish. Like it hit me in the feels, man. I never bumper really... boats, five different languages screaming at each other. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I think it's like the United Nations out there. Yeah, I think one thing to touch upon is that there's just I always believed in some kind of etiquette when it came to fishing, and I think that there's a really there's a really diverse crowd that seems to be out. I don't know if it's during the day or night. I, I only have the privilege of fishing at night because I work all day and it's exhausting. But some of the crowds that are out there just seems to have a complete lack of disrespect for other people. Lack of respect. Lack of respect, excuse yeah. me. Lack of respect. And it's um, it's to the point where it's, it's shied me away. I, I, I've really kind of prided myself on going off and doing my own thing lately and really getting away from the fleet, whether it costs me the night or... Some nights it's, you know, I'm a hero. Some nights you're a yeah. hero, but it's really turned me off from some of the fleet because I, I just don't understand where the lack of respect came from. So all the people out there, I just thought that there was a, there should be some kind of understanding that, you know, keeping a, an adequate distance from somebody within, uh, when within I, reason. When, I, I'm talking five feet. Like, when, when I went with you, I lost two fish that were hooked up to other people who were casting over my line. Yeah. Uh, at points in the day, I couldn't even cast. I could hear conversations going on sure. next to me. I'm just like, this is nuts. It's crazy how the word of a bite travels like that, though. Oh, my God. You know? And it's yeah. like, it, starts, it all starts with one boat, right? And then it's five boats, and then it's ten boats, and then it's a million boats, and then it's battle boats. And I don't know if it's because of the, the access to social media these days or... You know, anybody can go on. I always felt like fishing was almost a sacred thing. You know, where were you fishing? In the fucking ocean. Excuse me, I don't know if it's yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's my language. Um, but I almost felt like it was a sacred thing. You know, something you shared with close people. And it's become, uh, you know, a complete just onslaught of dumped information now. And especially some of the inshore fishing. It's just, there's no... I think it also kind of, too, just shows you how kind of like the bass are going where... They are traveling in big groups together in certain areas, it seems like. Um, you know, like for instance, this year, you know, uh, compared to last year when we had big fish around us pretty much all summer long, I mean, we still caught some big fish, but after like mid July, third week in July, they kind of petered out. Like you weren't getting 100%. those numbers of overfish, like, you know, those 20, 20 30 overfish days, like Correct. on a four hour chart, or just, just wasn't happening. But, you know, Portsmouth. And up in Maine, you, uh, Rye, you know, they had a great bite. Sure. And then on for, the, for a while, too. And yeah, and then the yeah. other side of Cape Ann, down off of like Gloucester and all that, they had yeah. a great bite and, on big fish. And they just kind of scooted away from our area, <laughs> like unlike previous years, you know. But um, yeah, but you, you trail your boat. Well, you have a slip, but you end up trailering it all over the place, right? Yeah, I think it's a total waste of money. I probably slip my boat maybe a month out of the year. It's good to have for the nights that you need it. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's beneficial. I like being able. I think that was a big thing with the pair. I think it was a perfect size to be able to have that maneuverability to be able to, you know, shout out to pair. I mean, that boat, <laughs> like. Uh, yeah. That, oh, it's amazing. That boat is, is trailable. 
Um, yeah, you haven't clipped the tower off under a bridge yet. That's good. I, I was going to say, yeah. any issues with the tower yet? <laughs> no, I bushwhacked a couple branches, but yeah. it definitely puckers up the butthole a little bit when you're going under a low <laughs> clearance. Um, but I, I'll tell you one thing, man. When I was driving your boat from up there, I was in heaven, man. It was awesome being up in that tower. The amount that you can see. And it's just, it was just so cool. I, I need one. <laughs> yeah, what I noticed it was great. Like when I was up there, because I was doing like, I don't know, 30 miles an hour or so. It feels like, like you, you're doing 20. It, it does. It doesn't feel like you're going very fast, but you also can't really understand the wave height. Correct. So like when you're going, obviously you feel it a lot more because of the pendulum effect, like being yep. up there. Sure. But um, like it looks like the ocean is flat when it's not. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> you get some balls. Yeah. Right? You just yeah. all of a sudden get some balls. to just but I noticed, like, when you get comfortable up there, it's just like riding down below. You know, you're a little little stiff at first because you don't want to fall out of the boat. But, yeah, yeah it, was, it was cool. It's awesome. It's just awesome, honestly. The I, thing's awesome. I think you boys will appreciate it this spring, especially when we get that flat bike and we get into some skinny water stuff. That's yeah. what I and, want it for, and, the and skinny you, water. Yeah, especially you running charters to be able to, like, kind of get away from it a little bit and kind of free up the boat, the deck space. and. Yep. Just, uh, Until one of those classic tangles comes along. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just figure it out, guys. <laughs> Tell you, I'm training that kid Hugh, though. <laughs> when I get my top, he'd be the mate. Yeah. The visibility is a game changer. Um, I've noticed that offshore, it is, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So when you took it out, you went down to the Carolinas to get it, right? I did. Um, I met a couple guys, um, a few guys we met. We went out fishing. We had an unbelievable trip just to kind of talk about that trip for a minute yeah definitely um, that, all about that, it. that fishery is is really cool i think i've been so one-dimensional my whole life with life sports yeah. um, life in general kids family um it's tough you either i think dom said it i was out with dom a couple weeks ago dom Petraka, and he was just like you either need to be extremely wealthy and have a shitload of money and time to be able to get out on this bite or or good luck or, or degenerate. Correct. <laughs> one or the other. Like guilty. <laughs> guilty on the second one. And, it's um, just like, I don't care about anything. I'm going out there. <laughs> no doubt. So I think it was one of the coolest things I ever really experienced was to go out and see these these guys, other fishery. And I'm so used to striper fishing. I like to think I've gotten de- pretty damn decent. We've uh, we put up some numbers. I can't remember the last time I've gone out and not landed a bass on the boat. And it was cool to just go down. We ran out. And it was funny, too, watching Wicked Tune. A bunch of guys are on the Outer Bank stuff. And <clears throat> we ran out to the point, which is I've seen it a million times watching Wicked Tuna. And um, it was cool. That boat, the deucer on the boat was picking up fish in 2,000 feet. No shit. I mean, we pulled up immediately onto a pot of mahi. Pulled up to a weed line, dolphin everywhere. Um, we just had our pick. We, we lit it up catching mahi for a couple hours what were you catching on lures squid chunks yeah it was all it, it was cool we we're fishing with the kid merv urbino um yeah. owner of strategic angler super shout out to marv he was just couldn't have been a nicer guy in person and it was uh i've i probably own 50 strategic angler lures and to be out and finally meet the guy and fish with the guy that's making the goddamn lures i've been fishing the last few years how did that happen was that just circumstance like you just happened to be bound then and those guys were friends it was it was wild it was actually all i blame you for a lot of my um financial mess i've been in I, we went out, <laughs> don't blame me motherfucker i told you <laughs> don't do it don't do it <laughs> right there was a cool tuna bite i was out one day there was a, a mark saw a ton of tuna up top i think i called you you were coming off a four hour eight hour six hour bass charter yeah i said hey uh, a- you free and you're like yeah just pull up to the dock and i go well let's get out there and go chase some tuna down and i think it was funny because i i kind of over outfitted my parker which was a great boat 
and um, I was not in the market for a new boat. I was happy with the boat I had. Um, I think I took a ride in your mod V. Yeah, we did like, the we did the uh, my my special this year the the three to seven p.m. run up to Jeffrey's and see if anything's sure. happening. Let's take a sixty mile cruise and see if we see. Hey, anything. it did work once. It did work twice actually. Twice, we yeah. Just, yeah. We just, yeah. Uh, yeah, twice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that was probably the biggest thing. So I, it was that night. I actually went home after riding in your pair, and I said I love the way the boat rode. And I went online. And I found one, a two thousand twenty one with. 180 hours on it and uh i listed it i messaged the kid he was in north carolina i flew down within the week i think it was two days i just booked the flight flew down to north carolina he invited me out to go do some offshore fishing and he asked me if i knew if i ever heard a strategic angler and i was like yeah i, I own quite a bit oh well let's go back because that trip that we went on you had just picked up a bunch of strategic English. Literally, yeah, but on the day, yeah. I think on I the day, would you get them at Tomos? Tomos, yeah. yeah. You got them at Tomos, and yeah. <laughs> we get out there, we see some slashes, and they ended up being like dolphins, or I don't know, I think we were just bored because we didn't see anything, so we were just casting around, and... <laughs> I know where this is going. You're like, yeah, this is a new lore. I know where this is going. These fucking things are $100. I go, um, I don't know if I can do it. He cast off and out of nowhere. Snap. (laughs) First cast. I just drowned. I cried for you, brother. I cried for you. First cast, buddy. I I was like looking at the road. That was was like a Monday. My Saturday, he's down in North Carolina fishing with the guy who made him. He's like, oh, I'm going down. Merv's Merv's down here. I'm buying this boat. I'm like, wait, there's too much going on. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, real uh, impulsive buy. Um, But I think everything worked out. I I was super happy to network with those guys. I learned quite a bit about their fishery. They just have so much different species where, oh, yeah. um, especially with John, I can't wait to introduce you to him. He was, couldn't have been a nicer guy, super well-respected fisherman. I, I've, guys all over our area have heard about John and nothing but good things to say about him. So what were you fishing for, Mahi? Did you get anything else on that trip? We went with Mahi. We took some riding and it was it was really cool because I was obviously, it was a sea trial for me on yeah. the boat. So it was actually, so our Cape trip was really the second time me running the boat, but yep. no, oh, yeah, that's on, true, on our own, yeah. um, I was still didn't really kind of work out the kinks but i um it, it was funny i'll never forget it we were we were cruising um deep water 1800 2000 feet and he said just hey get up in the tower and try running it so i jumped up and we were just running a weed line and at the time i think we switched but john was like hey tuna busting you know say 12 o'clock one o'clock and i'm sitting in the bow going what are you talking about and he's like, he just guns it. Hold on. And uh, it was great about the pair, but my pair was the, um, sorry about that. <laughs> was the, um, I don't know what you call it, like the top cap or the, where, where the ground oh, yeah. is. So, uh, so in your pair, which is an option that they have, they have an extended gunnel height. It goes right. up like another four inches. Like for mine, mine's more like a parker with the washboard. Sure. And then yours has the cap. And what's nice about the cap, first of all, when I saw them in pictures, boats with that cap, I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But being on it, and it's got that real offshore contender-like feel to it. It's sharp. And you get the grab rails up in the front, the recessed grab rails. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember I was reaching down. It saved my ass because if not, it would have been on my butt. Yeah. And um, he zipped it. There was um, We got into a bunch of skipjack tuna, blackfin tuna. There were yellowfin in the mix. And it was awesome. We were throwing, um, I believe it was, we were definitely throwing strategic angle lures. I believe they were frantic 80s or frantic 130s and it was cool and it was it was so funny because i've been fishing these lures for a few years and um i've been every lure has a different retrieve 
Yeah. And um, we, I've caught a few bluefin down the Cape with Proteus 130s, and, yeah. the, and the drop is it's a completely different retrieve. I mean, those fish are biting it on the drop. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I zipped out, and I was working that lure and kind of swimming it, and I, I know Merv looked at me and John were both like, hey, rip that thing. Rip it. Make them bite it. And my next cast, I, I zipped it out, and I was literally skipping it across the top of the water, and bang, I was instantly tight. And yeah, it, was, awesome. it was it was just a trip. That's really cool to have that opportunity to go fish with the guy who makes the lures that you use, and it's just kind of like on a whim. Like, dude, that's like the best sea trial ever. (laughs) (laughs) Not only are you going to be able to drive the boat, but we're going to take you to show you how this thing fishes too. (laughs) Yeah, it it was. It it was like I couldn't. You know, you couldn't even put a price on the trip. It was almost a, a charter with two guys who I highly respect, and we spent the whole day. We caught. We filled that front box with fish, and we had a great time. Oh, you got the coffin box too, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I've, I've thought about taking it out on some of the trips. Yeah. But, um, I think I put ice in it. One day we went out on a Saturday. I think I put 10 five pound bags of ice in it and came back the next Saturday, and I don't think any of it melted. No yeah, shit, I mean, huh? That, was that strong? Yeah, that that I like that. Like, rather than having the forward seating, to be able to have the workability going around the gunnel, and, but you have the seat that's there if you want to sit down. Um, it's actually a, a pretty awesome design. I didn't find it to be obtrusive at all. No, when we not, were at all. not at no. all. Still plenty of room. No. I mean, when Kyle got seasick and he was looking for a place to nap, did it get in the way? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That's the thing. Uh, Fallon's boat on Fallon's Parker that he got, the guy he bought it from down at the Cape, um, he actually had a dock box as like, like kind of like where your uh, coffin cooler would go. Is it an open bow? It's an open bow. It's a 25-foot Parker SE. So it had a flat deck. So this guy put the, um, it's like legit a dock box. I don't know if it's strong enough for people to sit on. I'll have to ask Mike about that. Same idea, though. Same idea, you know. But Mike was like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. Am I going to get rid of this thing? I'm like, dude, that that's great storage. I mean, that bow's got a nine, that boat's got a nine and a half foot beam. It's really wide. So... <clears throat> He was able to use uh, use it for storage, and then by like the end of June, he's like, "This thing's awesome." He's like, "I'm never having a boat without something like this on it again." So yeah, hundred percent. That's the other thing. Towers and, and yeah, when you're trying boxes. to stuff everything into a console, it's kind of like, bah. Ugh, I know. Like you I know. you've harped on it before that just on a center console boat. I don't think I'd ever fish anything but, but yeah. you really lack the store. You, you never have enough storage on yeah. Santa Claus. Unless you get into like way. the big south ports and like, you know, like, yeah, it's something correct. that has like a cabin, right? You had to say it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> 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 word. Yeah. Yeah. I really checked one out the other day and, uh, the way my bank account set up. <laughs> I think most people's bank account when it comes to Southport. Yeah, that's tough. That's my father's favorite boat. My father loves Southport. You know what sucks about a sexy boat like that? Is most of the people never leave any. They never go anywhere. <laughs> I know. They're just putting around with their huge fat wallets loving life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's three years old. It still has 150 hours. Yeah. Mine's, yeah, yeah. yeah Mine's if, it's, a, if it's well used. Like, yeah. My Parker, I had my motor for 11 months. It had 540 hours. <laughs> Did it really? Yeah. No five, shit. 540 when we let it go. So how long did you have that for? A year and a half? A season and a half? Or yeah. Did you get it at the beginning of two years ago, maybe? Or did you get it mid year? I think I had it for about just over a year. Yeah. That one you had the longest because you you went you had like a good streak of boat sales and purchases. You kind of rode the market up a little bit too with yeah. it, right? They just keep so. getting they keep getting a foot or two bigger every year. Yeah. A little better, a little bigger. But you you started off at the higher sport, right? There was a few before that. <laughs> oh, there was the big one that you used to keep uh, Larry's or whatever. Yeah, right? there was yeah. A, we had a big pro line. We had a big egg harbor. We had a, a few few center consoles. I think one 
I don't know what the other one was. One was a we had a little seventeen Mako. Yeah. Had an eighteen Pro Line, and then a thirty thirty Pro Line, and then down to a twenty. Was it twenty one Hydrosport? Yeah. A twenty one Polar. Uh, you, you actually took my slip, I think, because I left I left yeah, that place slip. and then you zipped in there. It is a good slip. It is a good slip. Yeah, that slip's awesome. Yeah. It's just so damn expensive, right? Like the current breaks down nicely. It's not like that's that's a Love good spot it. to be. You have to kind of be able to get out of it. That's like getting in is not a problem. Getting out, you got to be yeah. careful. It's and now you're gonna have like, the goat there, right? Is that what's going there? Yeah, super. Uh, I was actually thinking about heading across river to you boys, but um, you know, shout out to Al Flurry. He's putting in a super sweet restaurant there. It's gonna be great. Um, it's. I think I can huck a loogie from the little VIP bar and hit my motor. So it's going to be. Yeah. So that's um, it's at Hilton's Marina. It's where the um, the Plum Island Coffee Roasters used to be. Correct. That. Yep. Did he? Is it the whole building that he's turning into it? Yeah, quite a bit. There's a cool little bar upstairs. There's going to be a bar upstairs, downstairs. Um, we did quite a bit of out. We, we put quite a bit of work into the place. Oh yeah, yeah you, you, you did you the glass there, right? You do. Yeah, we did all the there. we did all the windows. It's going to be a cold, total open concept. All the windows open up. The accordion open. Oh, that's so, sick. So the entire building is almost wide open um, on a nice summer day. It's going to be a it's going to be a great atmosphere. Um, super cool place. Good food. Good beer. Good drinks. We'll have to drive the boat over and check it out. Yeah, it's going to be. I know it's too bad. There's not, there's not all. We can go to the public dock, but I guess. I don't know. I think about the deck. Like there used to be a time where you could get away with docking and go into the deck, and now yeah, it's just yeah, like good luck. There's no. a big sign that says "Get the f out." Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we don't take too kind, yeah. kind yeah. around here. <laughs> but I do understand how it could cause problems too, right? And you get drunk people coming in and out and crashing into other people's boats that are paying to be there, crowding the marina. You don't want any of that. I would so, murder somebody so if they came yeah. in and take my boat. He's actually, um, he actually has, I think, and I don't don't quote me on it, but four to six transient slips. Really for this reason really so yeah quite a bit so so anybody out there looking to come in and pull in there's going to be um there's going to be i believe four to six slips open for people for boaters to pull up um kind of get a little private slip to pull up and have a bite that would be sweet it's gonna be pretty cool that'd be sweet that'd be really neat so i'm definitely sticking to hilton's for a little while sweet gonna be hanging tight hilton's was a good dock when i was there i did like the people on the dock it was a lot of fun we had a lot of fun there's, there's some good characters over on that dock yeah oh yeah we for have sure some, we have some laughs we gotta get pat on here yeah. <laughs> no pat, way pat <laughs> <laughs> i like pat armin's the mayor of the dock he's the mayor of the whole of the whole waterway yeah the whole river is um, bullet is bullet still there the dog the, uh, his dog, he got. He ended up getting a new dog. I, I can't think of the name at the moment, but uh, I used to be cleaning my boat, dude. Right? Yeah, you know they have the gate up there. It'd be like the end of a hard day. I'd be scrubbing and be hot out. Like two chicks would be up there. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. It's sucking the gut. Hey, what's up? Can I help you? <laughs> Is bullet down there? Yeah, it's like three boats that way. <laughs> oh, cricket, cricket. That's a new name. Cricket's same, the new one. Same kind of dog. A uh, little tiny, must weigh two pounds. I don't know what it is, but it's a little cute dog. And uh, Cricket's the the dog keeper. <laughs> and, uh, All right, let's get back to a little bit more fishing. All right, so now that you've been in the tuna game now for a couple of years, right? Uh, you've caught them a few different ways. What's your favorite way to target them? Uh, you both know it, and. Uh, Spending a lot of fuel and running gunning is, I think, is the ultimate way. I think I've taken quite a bit of heat from a lot of local guys telling me I'm pounding my head against the wall. But, um, you know, if I go, if you spend 20 empty trips and 
get tight on your 21st, it, it, it wipes it all out. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's it's, really what it takes, you know. For somebody, you know, there's a, probably a lot of people listening to this or looking online. And, I mean, it seems like lately some guys can just go out there and just grab one, like, the first day. But I know, like, dude, like, when I first, my father would do it before I did. Like, like I was, like, I was in college and high school at the time when he started. He's like, oh, we're leaving at 2 in the morning. I'm like, dude, no. Like, I'm just coming back from the bars. You know what I mean? And then, um, you know, he used to tell me stories. Oh, I followed him all the way from the three-mile line. We ended up in Boston. Like, did you get any? He's like, no. I'm like, I think you're full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) So... Then one day I just went with them to Stellwagen, and it was like the second the sun came up, the whales were busting, tuna were jumping out, and it was like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, that was it. And it took us, I think that summer, we went 13 times, which was a lot because I was working on the party boats every day, and most of our trips ended up being towards the fall, like September, October, and we got our first four. Prime time. Our first four hookups and landings were on the same day. It was the last day of the year. And I think that's commonplace for a lot of people that start off, especially in the run and gun game. You think you're going to go out there and just see something right away and fire a cast off and boom, you're tight. No, it's like three stages of difficulty, right? It's finding them, getting them to bite, and then you got to land it. And, you know, somebody who, if you're somebody who's just learning it, like actually out there doing it, you know, it's a learning curve. It's tough. And then you always got to worry about the, I mean, I remember at the time when we started, so I was probably like, you know, 1920 when I started taking the boat offshore by myself and things like that more often. And um, yeah, you put your time in and just try to figure it out. It was like back in the day, you used to run down the Stellwagen, they'd be on Jeffries. You're like, oh shit, tomorrow I'm going to go to Jeffries and then be dead and you hear Stellwagen was on fire. And I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. All the time. All the time. Yeah. So the the other part of the, the run and gun game, though, it's nice when you have the friends, like you said, making making the net, building the network and being able to talk huge. to people. And I actually have a funny story about that, and I never even told you this story, Kyle. It was actually a riot. So it was like mid July, and um, it was a good day, and I went out with a couple of buddies, to, and we were trolling bars out at Pigeon Hill, and um, we hadn't had any luck, and. I don't know, troll, it was a couple hours around the troll, and all of a sudden I just hear on the radio, yeah, I'm over, I'm over here. I can see him going up and like this and that and the other thing. I'm just kind of a little chasing him right now, and I know it's Kyle's voice. Like it's <laughs> Kyle's voice on the radio, and we're all on the channel. Like We're always, always on. And he was talking to someone else, and then the, the, guy, the other guy on the radio just goes, go to the other channel. Right, <laughs> so I'm running to my radio because I have no cell phone service. I'm like, don't go to the other channel. <laughs> don't go to the other channel. <laughs> and they were gone. I was just like, no, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> yeah, and I, that was funny. I, I was like, Kyle, it's Dan. Don't go to the other channel. <laughs> you know what I, I ever I heard? Buzzed in. Yeah. You know, I had no phone. I have no cell service. We were out at the outer hill right at that moment, moment in time. And uh, no cell phone service at all. But I tried to get to the radio quick enough, and you guys were gone. I was like, no. That's so funny. funny. (laughs) Well, that's what happened. Like, when we used to go down, you know, we'd take the boat and drive down the P-Town on the boat from Newburyport. And, like, you don't know anyone down. Like, back then, I didn't know anybody down there. So it was just like, all right, scan the radio and see if anybody's saying anything. Yeah. And I swear to God, dude, it was always the day everyone's like, this fucking sucks. We should have been, you should have been out here yesterday. It was everywhere, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's tough for the average guy to go out, um, especially it's, it's not 
It's super easy to get discouraged. You make three, four, five, twelve trips. <laughs> you just spent thousand dollars on rods, thousands of dollars in fuel, tackle, and not seeing a single thing. And I think it's just the the perseverance, constantly keep going through. I think I've talked to you. I've talked to you. Chris is like my therapist some days, but call him. Yeah. Like, you don't get it. I think there was. I think there was a, a consistent seven days in a row where it, it kind of started in that area around that pigeon area, working south for maybe a ten mile stretch. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the hardest things for me to overcome was that, you know, if we're bass fishing a structure or an area, there's only so many places for those fish to go. You can kind of really corner them in. I think I've gotten pretty cool. That's one thing mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you about was my little drone experience and how I've kind of oh, yeah. used that. It's a whole other story. But bass fishing is one thing. You can kind of corner the fish. They're in a certain area. Um, they, they, don't, they don't go far. Um, but with tuna fishing, it is like these fish, it is just a big puddle. I mean, that the water doesn't, well, yeah, that's exactly like you can talk about structure all day long and like, yes, there's an element to that that makes you successful. But at the end of the day, they're migratory fish. So they, they're going to, they can be anywhere. So like the places you go to are more like waypoints. Sure. It's familiarity. It's a, yeah. Especially down South, like they're on the Cape. Like it's, it's weird for, for me fishing down there. Cause it's like. Uh, where's the structure? It's all like tent breaks and tide lines and bait and the fleet, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where everyone else is. <laughs> and it's funny because you guys had an unbelievable day last year, which was a record day. Yeah. And yeah. it was so funny because I was down there that day. Actually, I got tight with a fish that day and it was, um, it was unbelievable. It was my first fish I ever got on top Yeah, and got it to the boat and pulled the hook like at the boat. It was tail slapping the gunnel and pulled the fish. And it was just like, it was hysterical because you were probably what? Five seven miles south. Yeah, we were about five miles yeah. south. Had a one to two degree temp break, and it was lit up. Yeah, we talked about it after, and I think it was we both found a temp break, and that kind of seemed to be like what where they were. Correct, but 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 it was funny too because we found I was in busting fish for four hours, like just you know thirty to forty to fifty fish pods of busting fish for four four hours straight. Yeah. And just, I think that was, I think that's the biggest thing for me. I, you know, anybody goes out there and I've always, not to knock any bait guys, I, you know, I've, I've got them on bait this year. It's, it's a different game, but yeah, I think it's the hunt for me. Yeah. And like you said, there's like the three, it's, it's the hunt. It's, it's like hunting these fish and then getting them to bite an artificial and then getting them to the boat. Um, you know, being able to rely on your connections, having good connections and not worrying about that in the game and well, it, it's such it. it's such a primal feeling as like 100 as like hunters like like from evolution you know 100%. like you're going out there and like you're toe-to-toe you're seeing it you're aiming it you're making the lore work yep. you know catching fish on bait for anything it was great i just love fishing but that apex that 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 tip top of just adrenaline rush of catching a big tuna on top water it's just it's just the pinnacle of fishing like what else can compare to that i will say tarpon in the flats is really fun if you if you haven't done that i highly suggest that but other than that those are probably the two toughest man i I agree i think it's a it's definitely if you're looking to go catch a tuna i wouldn't recommend going and catch them on top water (laughs) it's just (laughs) it's not the it's not the easiest way to get them the bait shops love it (laughs) the tackle shop yeah no doubt i mean i mean show, show the tomo too he's uh you know he's got everything in stock and it's just if it's hot it's it's on the shelf or it's gone the next day but i think like you know especially the like the jig bite you know that week i think that you know that bite lasted for about it was about a two-month bite 
Yeah, it, it Fallon jigged up quite a few fish down there. I it's just—it's funny, like when it's like the jig wasn't a thing when we were there last year, and all of a sudden everybody's doing it. You so know, I think I've learned that it's been always a thing, but it's just not that that bite's going on, mm-hmm. but it's where it's going on. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and for whatever, right? That 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 subsurface feed's happening. It's just where you know, if you're lucky enough and the stars align for you to be there, and um, the amount of fish that have pulled up in that area for two months was it was unbelievable well one of the great things up here out of the merrimack was that this year was like the first year in a while you could realistically go out there with the plan to go catch some football tuna i mean dude i caught a football i got a 50 something inch tuna at shoal ledge yeah two two and a half miles three miles offshore Right, you, you crazy. Were, you I burned, burned like, less. I burned about hundred people. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I burned less than ten gallons of gas to get a tuna fish. Yeah, it's like awesome. <laughs> you can't beat that. Yeah. That's for sure. I think there was a morning I pulled out. It was one of the only days I launched out a rye that day for some reason. I launched out a rye. No, it was either rye. I think might have been Hampton. Okay, I think I launched out of Hampton. It wasn't rye. A couple times out of rye. A couple times out of Hampton. I, I, I don't ask me why. And um, I think I pulled out and I ran into you. You were on a charter. Mm-hmm. Guys were jigging mackerel. I was inside a little bit. We ended up loading up some mackerel. Um, I ran out and said, you know what? I'm going to go chase some tuna. It's early. Seas were like glass. It was super greasy. I'm going to go chase some tuna. I ran to the end of the world, came back in, and there was a sick bite three to four miles yeah, right, right, of course, yeah. right where Right where we were jigging freaking mackerel. And I went, yeah. man. Did I, did I ever tell you the Jay Shields story? We took my dad's boat out back in the day when I was like 19. Dude, listen to this, right? So me and Jay, we go tuna fishing, right? We leave the Merrimack. We go all the way down to Southern Jefferies, end up at the northwest corner, northeast corner, all the way to Pigeon Hill, running up to like the back side of the, uh, we call it the broken bottom on the party boats, like the east side of Jefferies. I'm like, dude, we got like 20 gallons of gas left. I'm like, we got to go in. We go in. It's like noontime. We fill up the boat. We're like, it's still nice out. Let's go back out. We went back out to the curl, up to the House of Shoals, <laughs> all the way around. We did not see a thing. On the way in, I think we ended up at the prong. And we're like, all right, we got to go home. We were just driving around. We just went through two tanks of gas. Sure. We're driving the way in. About halfway between the three-mile line, halfway home, one little tuna jumped. And I swear to God, it looked like he gave us the middle finger on his head <laughs> as he just went. And we're like, just just go. <laughs> well, fish are funny to me. Like, when they jump and, like, when you see it on film in slow motion, they don't have facial expressions, right? <laughs> so it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, would you think they'd be like, what? Yeah. I know. <laughs> like smiling at you, but it's just like these like hollow eyes. It's like, hey, I'm here, and I'm gone. They and you're never going to see me again. Yeah. It looks yeah. fake. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With, with tuna especially, right? Because they're so rigid when they jump. It looks like... Uh, Looks like one of those things they get like a stick puppet, you know, like there's a little popsicle stick underneath, and they just launch it out yeah. of the water. Yeah. And like that, it's just like I, I might have told this story before. And I'm just gonna tell it again though. The day there was one night I got, I was I just out, I was having a good time. This is like pre kids, having a grand old time, and some old <laughs> friends invited me. They booked Chris for a charter, and I'm like, yeah, I'll come with you guys. It'll be a good time. So I get on there and I'm like a zombie. Like my eyes are just wicked bloodshot. I'm like half dead. I'm like, all right, let's. I, any, anything, fishing is going to wake me up, you know. And uh, we get out there and uh, we're fishing in the pogey fields. 
and everyone's hooked up on bass. It's just like in pandemonium. It was just an amazing day. Dude, it was day. the craziest like 45 minutes of yeah. bass fishing I've oh, ever experienced. It was unbelievable. So uh, I think it was Andy Ryan had a corker at the front of the boat. It was like a probably like a 40, 35, 40 pounder. And everyone was paying attention to that. And I was just like, you know, like there's still fish here. Like I'm fishing. Like I want mine. And I'm looking off the back of the boat and then out of nowhere, just they just see like this huge pogey blast. And then a giant tuna just comes right out of the water. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And it was still, it was like it was frozen in time. It was like a picture. You know, it was like, (laughs) there's just this, like, still fish just silently in the air. And then I scream to everyone to look. And by the time everyone turns around, it's just gone. And that <laughs> that's what happens. It's like it was never there. It's crazy. It was like a half a mile off of Plum Island. No, we were Not in even. front of... Oh, it was like we 30 were, feet of water. Yeah, we were, we were right in front of the little spit jetties, right in front of Bennett Hill in the middle of Plum Island there, where the, where the houses are. Yeah. We were, I think it was a morning, you, me... John, Michael, and Kenny were oh, yeah. oh, inside yeah. the North yeah. Jetty. Dude, we were just on the other side of the North like, Jetty. Like right. inside. In the inside. wicked foggy day, right? Super foggy, croaking bass. Everyone just Dude, we broke triples. more treble hook, more snag hooks that day. Like four snag hooks Correct. broke. It was, yeah. It was you had silly. one monster on, dude. I'll never, that was a pig. Yeah, we, we, we were killing it. And all of a sudden, you were like, oh my God. And I look, and I just caught it. I caught the tail come down, and it was... Every bit of a yeah. five, six, seven hundred pound fish. Boys, I mean, it was dude. a big boy, and it just it blew up, and it was just kind of a reality check that these fish are they're, they're fish everywhere are and nowhere. They're, they're, they're not everywhere. playing around, right? Yeah. And it's uh, we actually so you guys both told stories where like you kind of just caught the tail and missed it. I was on a charter this year. We might have talked about it before. I remember we were just jigging up mackerel, and I floated a balloon out like on show ledge. And, uh, yeah, right behind the boat, <laughs> like a five, six hundred pound tuna just came, bloop, and it was weird. It came out of the water like halfway and went down and then Greyhound and came right back up and everybody on the boat saw it. My whole charter saw it. Sure. So it was sick. So we were going to battle with a Thunna 6K and a Travala, <laughs> like a like a 3080 Travala. Bye-bye. Yeah, you know what? We fought it for about 15 minutes before the leader party with the 30 pound leader. Oh, you know what, what Chris? You, you haven't talked much about uh, what you started doing this year, and I started doing it too. But when mackerel fishing, what happened to you when you started? You, so you're mackerel fishing, you're getting your bait. Why not have a setup while you're mackerel fishing? Put a, put a mackerel on a hook, get a balloon out there, and let it float around. And then what happened to you out at uh, Breaking Rock? Yeah, I mean, a bunch of things happened. We well, That was the tuna. Um, we've also. Um, one of the other things too, so floating a mackerel out while you're mackerel fishing, it's nothing new. As a matter of fact, it's something back in the day I used to do all the time. And then, um, it started not being as successful the last few, uh, maybe not the last few years. We've been getting a few out there, but at one point in time, it just didn't even seem like worth it to throw it out. And, uh, so this year with mackerel being kind of scared, well, not scarce, but they were getting chased every day. They were getting pushed around. I'd mock bass on my screen. So I just started throwing some, you know, some the old school, just a mackerel under a, a bobber, you know, under a float. And uh, we started picking up bass. And then what we were doing, we were just getting mackerel, getting enough to troll. We float a balloon out. If we caught a fish, 
you know, we'd stick it out a little bit more, fill up the well, and then we'd start just trolling the area. Me and Dan had a cancellation, like last minute cancellation. And me and Dan did that one day. And then like in two hours, we trolled up like eight fish over 40 and they were corkers. They were nice. Was that what you were talking about? Yeah, no. When you hooked hooked the tuna on your charter. Yeah. And then we hooked the tuna out there. um, And that was cool. We got to fight that. Everyone fought it for a couple minutes. And, you know, it's something that you know anybody would remember for the rest of their lives like how awesome is that you know i think it brings it to a good point because um you know with today social media yeah everybody's following a bite and you saw a piece of the boats that were out there Um, there were days (laughs) where there's 300 plus i've seen fish swimming with fucking spreader bars hanging from their face really 100 percent um we've seen fish with 300 yards of braid I'm talking braid passing your boat, and it's unbelievable. I think that I think tackle is a big topic when it comes to tuna fishing, and and I think that's just one thing I'll never skip out on. And I know, I know it's pricey uh, firsthand. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, there's a reason why you buy the good shit, yeah, right? If I'm, if I'm looking through my garage, and, th- and this is a perfect point. So one of one of our, one of our best days out there, we were jigging, and it was it was unbelievable. There was fish. There was a fish that passed by my boat. I saw the fish. I looked down and I could see this braided line going by the boat. I'm trying to gaff the line. To f- I'm, b- I'm about to hand line this fish. And it, it's not a short either. I'm talking, yeah. this is a big boy. And it just goes to show you're seeing all classes of fishermen out there chasing this bite. And I don't knock anybody for it. Um, but it, it just really hits home because these fish are resilient. They're tough. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one, I, I got this picture here. I'm going to show you boys with leader line completely destroying this fish's, just the chafing on the fish's face yeah. alone. And, um, and we swam that fish for 45 minutes and I, I'd like to think that that fish is swimming somewhere now. Yeah. But the tackle is, uh, is one thing that you just really can't cheap out on with these fish. These aren't, these aren't bass. They're not. Yeah. So let's talk about your jigging setup then. Like, so how, how are you rigging things to make sure you're bringing these things in? Cause you've got giants hand schoolies on sure. a fairly light tackle. So sure. There was, um, that, that was the best trip. I think we were out. I, I don't think I brought my good setups. I, I had a couple, you know, Stella's on some of those Van Stahl rods. Yeah. And those are those are great setups. Man, Saul's not even making those jigging rods. That's anymore. what we jigged up the other. That's what we were jigging with. We used your rods. Yeah, we had those Van like Stalls, and they're great rods. They, they super flex and love the blanks. They did. A, I don't know why they did away with them. I don't know if they were selling or they weren't cheap by any means, but they were super great setups. They were reasonable. What are they? Two hundred fifty, three hundred bucks. I think they I were. Think. The, I think they were in the up mid to three three hundred range, which isn't but, bad which when you're talking about tuning gear. Not bad when you're talking about some of these rods. Yeah, um, they're not they're not Ripple Fisher prices. They're not almost black hole prices there they were respectable prices and um i heard they stopped making them last year but um we were fishing i fished nothing but stellas 18 and 20k stellas um 80 to 100 pound holocore i think that was the that whole holocore craze was something yeah i'm I, convinced you can catch yeah. any fish in the ocean with 80 pound test yeah yeah no, pretty I've much right planted 600 pound fish on yeah. 80 100 pound test yeah and um, I, I, I love the Holocore Spectra. It was a total new thing to me a few years ago, and I've jumped on, and I'm convinced of... You like it better than Solid Braid? 100%. See, I'm kind of the other way. I, I put Hollow on one of my rods back in the day, and... Did I? Yeah. And I I wasn't a huge fan, because I didn't like doing the wind-on leaders. And I made my own wind-on leaders, but I just never felt like I could cast really great with them. 
So, but I know a lot of those guys down there at the Cape and you, you do the hollow core. So then how do you rig the hollow core to your leader? So it's a, a loop to loop connection. And the actual, the loop is, is so small. It zips through guides. Yeah. The it, there, there's no, much. there's no knot you can tie. That's slimmer than a loop to loop connection from hollow core. And by the ideology behind it is a Chinese finger trap. Yeah. The yeah. line goes in back into the line, out and back in. And it's actually significantly stronger than a knot you can tie because it almost doubles up the braid. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the tension actually tightens it. Correct. Right. And the knot is so slim, um, casting-wise. Um, even jigging, I use them. I use yeah. 25-foot wind-ons. Um, so you're, you're buying your wind-on leaders as opposed to buying, like, a spool and cutting it and tying cor- it. Cor- correct. Out of laziness and, <laughs> and, and, and as, as well as time, especially you guys know what it's like. Do you know how – you, have you ever tried making your own wind-on? I have. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's much more efficient to – they're, they're not significantly expensive. Yeah, well, yeah. I think I think the difference is this, right? Like, if you're a fisherman like Kyle, he probably goes out with four or five setups just for himself. Yeah. And everything's tied up and ready to roll. But if you're on, like, if you're chartering and you're constantly cranking Correct. through leaders. Correct. Then, I yeah, mean, like, you, you want to tie your own. Right? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be purchasing them if I was doing charters kind of thing. Well, yeah. the reason I ask is because, like, I, I do all my own. I did do all my own wind-on leaders, like, for sharks. You know, that's a big sure. thing I do with my shark gear is, um, you know, I run about 15, 20 feet of 400-pound test to like three feet of wire so i can reel that 400 pound test right up to my uh right through my guides and i use wind-ons for that well i i still do wind-ons but now i connect them with a the swivel because it's easier i don't have to make yeah well the loop. roller guides everything comes right through. yeah so. so before what i was doing is i was taking a piece of mono and i'd make my own loop i i'd take some like a 10 foot shot of hollow core make my loop and then i would make my heavy wind ons because i couldn't buy them anywhere at the time in that kind of like uh yeah. in that kind of size range and then but geez you know what it's just t- the the i rather spend the 10 bucks for a liter so i i order mine now actually a guy uh, blue action tackles where i get my uh my shark wind ons for 15 20 bucks and i think the, yeah. be- the beauty of with the loop to loop is when you get that fish that chafes the leader and it gets gets real short, yeah, the ability to swap that loop out and throw a new leader on in two minutes as opposed to trying to tie a new you know leader what? is Here's beautiful. A- like to be able to swap it out, it's like done. I feel like I can tie a knot faster than I can put in a loop to loop. Well, I guess if you just cut the dead leader and pull it out and then put a new one in, it's not too bad. But sure. sometimes that knot gets a little tight. It's hard to undo. It does. With a little pick or a you know one of the using the little needle. Yeah. Kind of pick that knot. It seems to just be. What are you using for line? What, any particular brand? I think the the hollow core Spectra was what I used. I think I outfitted all my rods with it this year. Yeah. Um, it was. What are you using? 80? 80 on some of the castings. Eighty and hundred. Yeah. Eighty. And How are you tying on the jigs? So, it's <laughs> a good. It's a good point. I I think. Uh, I had one week. I think it was about. It might have been three four weeks ago. So. Where we in now november so like mid-october we were out with a few different guys on the crew and i chased fish on top for three four days straight from in, in our area um yeah. jeffrey's from probably the prong all the way out to pigeon all up and down the curl to the northeast side of the curl and um we got tight and we got tight five days in a row and lost all five what three were busted connections and i was sick to my stomach from your from your lore correct so 
broken. It wasn't chafe gear. It wasn't a cut line. It was a busted knot. There was one day it was 100%. It broke so far up the leader yeah. that I believe it was just a nick in the leader. Um, yeah. One of the losses. The second loss, we 100% was at the knot. I take responsibility. There was fish busting. And we. I think you and I have talked about it quite a bit in the, the fish's behavior and finding out what kind of fish they're, they're feeding on. Mm-hmm. And especially if they're greyhounding, if they're thrashing, or, or what was going on. If they're slurping, you can kind of tell the kind of bait that they're on. We'll talk about that in a Correct. minute. But that, could, that's, that's, a really good, that's a really good subject. And I think there was um, one point we were cruising. I started out really south that day. We went down Stellwagen. We are working our way back north to Jeffries. And I just came upon a really cool feed. And it was the tower. I was up top, and I and I just I saw birds working really far off in the distance. The tower. <laughs> Without the tower, I reached down. I'm like, hey, hang on. You know, we're going to zip it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I got some birds at, you know, 1230, 1 o'clock. And um, I, I dumped it. I mean, I opened it. I just dumped the throttle. We were cruising. And I always, I got those rod holders up in the tower. So I had my, I had two rods rigged up. And we came up and I zipped. And I think I had, um, I think I had a Proteus 130, 180, it was, a, it was a butterfish lure from Strategic Angler. Okay. And I got a couple really good casts into the bust. And one thing I've kind of learned is is by working those birds is that those birds are always behind the fish. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to work the birds, those birds, are, right, the fish are much quicker than the birds. Mm-hmm. So I, I get a really good cast ahead of the birds, ahead of the fish. And I think one thing for anybody out there trying to work that I've learned over the last couple of years is being able to get that lure tight. And working that lure, sure you can get a great cast in, but that slacking line, you got to get it out pretty quick. Especially when you're first rolling up to it, that's the toughest part. Hundred percent. Your best shot is also the hardest one. Like you got to crank and get that slack out and get that thing moving somehow. And and I've learned the hard way, right? Yeah. You're still on. You're still cruising. Yeah. You have so much slack in your line. You think you get a good cast in, but you have your lure's not acting the way you it's supposed to. So. That was one of the big things. I got a cast in. I didn't get tight. I was beside myself. I, I couldn't have put one on. I couldn't have put one on the money better, and I didn't get bit. So we chased them a little bit. They kept fish kept working east, and I watched them kind of. They, they were just like greyhounding, and I'm like, man, if they were on butterfish, I feel like they'd be thrashing more. Yeah. So the next lure I had, it was uh, I believe it was, I want to say it was a frantic, and it was it looks, you know, it it, it was perfect like a. Um, like a half beak, like it's to a T. Mm-hmm. And I zip it out and I get tight within three seconds. I fought the fish for maybe, I'd say, 15 minutes and pulled the hook. And oh. that feeling is like, yeah, uh, I now know what it feels like to give birth. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it, it, it was tough. I mean, I, my heart fell to my stomach. I was sick. And it, and it hurt because I think it's really tough to fish in our area to get fish on top. I know I get, I get joked at at the dock quite a bit that I'm the guy that's, Going out chasing tuna with nothing yeah, but everyone, people come in. They're like, "Hey, how's the bass fishing?" I'm like, "I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Yeah, nothing but spinning." Well, it's it's not an easy thing to get them on top here. I mean, you know, this year we were fortunate enough to troll them up a little bit. Um, I know a couple of people that got them on top, but it certainly wasn't the norm. You know? Yeah, it's it's, it's not the the most successful way to go catch them. But it's the funnest. It doesn't beat it's it if you funnest. get one on top and you feel it. And I think like my favorite was this year was the jigging. Was, I never um, caught one on the jig. So when we went last week or whatever it was a month ago, I was like so jacked up. Yeah. But no. I think I sent you a picture. We actually snagged the sand deal. And those hoagie jigs, I got to give it to them. They were, they imitate it. The color was on point. The size, size was on point. And when you, unfortunately, we were on nothing but giant fish. 
and when you accidentally snag one it almost feels like it's funny because the fish don't know that they're hooked yeah <laughs> they, don't, they don't really realize it especially you're setting the hook they don't really realize it for about five ten seconds and all of a sudden you know you might as well hook a volkswagen beetle doing 60 because that rod's bent over and your drag's getting smoked and it's just it's, hang the fuck it's, on <laughs> it's probably it's probably the funnest feeling i've ever felt in my life it's it's <laughs> yeah. so, there's nothing that beats it I want to go back. I want to hear your thoughts on watching how the tuna feed as they're crashing and recognizing what bait they're hitting on. Because what happened to you, how you said you were throwing that butterfish lure at first, sure. and then you noticed that they were jumping, the way they were jumping, and you changed out your presentation, and then your next cast, you were tight. You know, it's a big reason why when I go tuna fishing, I have, I think I have two two rods that I normally bring out. Like, I'll have, like, a big and a small, you know. I'll have something, and then I'll have, like, some sort of jigging rod with, like, a Ronzi or a metal jig on it. But I want to hear your thoughts on it. I think I go, I just never want to be unprepared, so I bring quite quite a bit of setups. You have a quiver. You have a quiver. Yeah, I bring quite a bit of of setups and just don't ever want to lose a fish on gear. Yeah. So um, I bring... You know, a few ripple fishers rigged with Stellas, a few, a couple of Daiwa Proteuses on Stellas, and um, that, was, that was a good point you brought up. So the point was, we were jig fishing that day, and I caught, I got tight with a fish. I got it probably, we fought the fish for at least an hour. I got it to the boat, it was every, it was an 80 to 90 inch class fish, and I busted them off, and it was fine. Yeah. So instead of re-rigging that rod, that leader was stretched out, I actually... The three, the two other guys that were with me had my other two jigging rods, two other Stellas, and I had a Penn Slammer, an eighty five hundred Slammer. Of and, course, and you can of course go to the, go to the specs and the drags there, um, but with that power gear, it doesn't even matter. So this was the point. So we ended up. I dropped down. We went back as we were fighting that fish. I had a bunch of waypoints. I was marking wolf packs of tuna, and we went followed my track back. I dropped down, and I'm talking my jig. Maybe got to 75, 80 feet, mm-hmm. and it started dumping. So I flipped the bale. I was tight, um, and we fought this fish for a while. We chased this fish for, like, maybe four miles. Yeah. That reel's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> the reel, I thought the reel was going to break the entire time. Um, it was just so underpowered. I could not gain on this fish. I, like, I felt like the reel was going to snap at any minute. The lever on the reel was going to break. And we, we ended up getting that fish to the boat, and it was just, it was it was exhausting. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. We have GoPro footage mm-hmm. for two and a half hours, and we've changed the reel through three hands 20 times. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was constant. And um, and that's a, and that's a good point, especially seeing those fish swimming with, I mean, those fish swimming with spreader bars. There's a lot of guys that go out there underpowered with real light tackle, and the truth of the matter is fishing these fish with, 20k 25k reels is underpowered yeah i mean for what you could possibly get correct for the giants i mean when you're catching a 40 50 inch fish of course i I understand like we we caught them i think last year i got one i I fish 10k when i'm when i know those fish are in the area if i see them i fish a 10k actually on that yeah 10k with 50 you never had an issue with that well last year i got tight on a you know, on a short, it was a 50-inch class fish on a 6K Saragossa with 30-pound test. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a trip. I mean, the fish was just dumping line. It was, a, it was a trip. But if you hook into these, there's different classes of fish. And, mm-hmm. um, and they're no joke. They're, especially when you get into the bigger fish, chasing them on top. 
It's just a it's a different animal. And some of them just have different attitudes too. Like you never know which one's just gonna dog you down to the bottom. You don't know which <laughs> ones are gonna take you to the sunset. I like those ones. The ones that go to the sunset, you can drive up on them. Those ones that go straight down on spin gear. It's a little bit tougher. A little bit yeah. tougher to get that lift in, but do you, do you notice a difference in fighting a fish in like one eighty that that fish can that fish starts to run? Yeah. But fighting a fish where we've gotten tight and 400 feet, yeah, the fish kind of seems to go vertical and just hang there. And it's almost like it's regaining its energy. Yeah, well, you know what they're doing when they go down there? The water's cooler. And they kind of like, they get the more they get oxygen. They get more oxygen yeah. and they get ready to go, you yeah. know? So that's why, like, when I go shark fishing, like, I don't take people out on tuna trips right now. Uh, if we get more footballs like we did last year, 100%. Oh, my God, I was begging people to go out this year. Um, but, like... Anytime you're talking about big fish, you know, my opinion is, listen, line is coming on or off the reel. There's there's no rest. There's no rest. Because if you're resting, he's resting, and he's just resetting that fight. So, like, when I take people shark fishing, I'm like, listen, if you're not catching the shark, run the video, take your pictures. Because when it's at the boat, if we have an opportunity to cut it, if you fought it, like, a good 10 minutes or whatever, and you, you're good, which most people are, like, I'm going to grab the leader, and I'm going to cut it. And we're letting it go because if you missed that opportunity, you're at square one a lot of times. And even like big blue sharks or, you know, you know, that Mako we got this year. Although he he was, uh, he didn't do anything crazy other than that jump, if I remember correctly. It wasn't anything other than some fast runs. Yeah, he wasn't, he he didn't dive. He didn't dive. He didn't dive one bit. That that was a pretty wild trip for you guys. Dude, that was fucking awesome. Because to go out. Like get bit off on the tuna. You landed the tuna. What was left of yeah, it? Yeah, that tuna was. And then to target the mako that just fucking chomped your tuna was like. But like it was so pretty cool. That was on a TLD thirty, and the tuna was <laughs> like sixty something. It was probably sixty. I don't. We don't know because it. You know, we only got two thirds of it to the boat, but it was probably like sixty something inches. And uh, that was the first time with the thirties and trolling. Then I was just like, yeah, like this is this fish might be all class in this reel, but we handled it very very well. It just took longer yeah, than yeah. others had. Um, but yeah, with the uh, <clears throat> when we got it to the boat and there was this that big streak of cl- cloud of red behind it, I'm like what the hell is going on? Like it became easy. Like the fish became easy sure. to bring in. It was kind of just whatever yeah, yeah. weight was left of it. That's all we were reeling in. And then uh, to have the mako behind it. Like, as soon as, like, I, I, we saw the Mako, and it was just, like, a moment of pure instinct. Because Chris was on the on the rod, on the reel, and um, I hadn't had the gaff in my hand, but I was like, I know this fish needs to come in the boat. So I gaffed the fish super quick, and uh, when I, as soon as I pulled it in, that Mako came out, like, chomping. Like, it wanted another taste, another taste wow. of the fish. And then uh, Captain Chris, being the good captain that he is, we didn't have a single thing for uh, shark fishing ready. Excuse me, ready to go. Like that kid. He dove right into his super unorganized and messy console. (laughs) 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 It was able to pull. Hey, listen, it was like the it was like the September fifth, man. My season was over at this point. All right. Uh, it's like that college dorm room where everything's all over the place, but somehow the kid knows where everything is. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a paperclip uh, under the couch in the back. Side. And he threw the threw the leader on. That Mako was like 400 pounds. It was a big. It was a big ass Mako, and um, I was expecting a little bit more out of him. But luckily, I guess he cooperated with the gear because he did make some awesome runs. He did have a good jump, but at the end of the day, we won the battle. That was actually yeah. the second Mako I ever had jump. So, yeah, and, and my yeah. first one. 
the last one. Oh, sorry, my second one and the last one. The crazy thing about a Mako shark, though, was just how, like, when we leaded it and let it go and definitely would have killed it if we could have, uh, we could have killed that thing, like, seven times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and let it go, and, and you, you know, it's not like a blue shark where you let it go and it just dives and it's gone. You know, it flaps its tail, slaps your boat, and it's out of here. Like, this thing literally just turned around, like... All right, f you guys, and just like cruised on the surface. Dude, right away he was on the, the surface, just slow. I don't know if he was <laughs> tired or he was like, "That's all you got. That's all you got." Yeah. And I don't want to go too much into the story because we still got to bring Tim on here. And yeah, go we do deep into that story. Yeah, so we'll save that for a whole time. whole podcast in itself. On that yeah, the, the, the whole story, just everything about it was there's so many little details that made it like super special. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. And I want to get his father-in-law on here. To tell us to, to help us tell the story. So, um, geez. So, what else we got? Anything else? Anything else new? What are you? What are your plans? Are we? Are we going Saturday or what? Yeah, I'd like to. Oh, we got to talk Dan into, into I know. Uh, ponying up and dragging his ass down to redeem yeah. ourselves on that trip. I might. Uh, I might actually have to drive my truck down separately because I think I'm going to be fishing in Rhode Island the next day for Tog. So I might. Oh boy. I might go down separately. Maybe. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We got a day. But you know, it's, it's probably going to be my last couple trips of the year. My boats, my boats all wrapped up, dude. Are you wrapped? Yeah, I. Uh, actually, if anybody's in the process of getting their boat ready, Dan and I, my father, and John Parker just got one this year. We got some covers. Um, so I usually shrink wrap my own boat. Yeah. You know, I had the gun. I had everything. I shrink it every year. You know, get the get the uh, the shrinker up from West Marine. And uh, last year, I think my father actually found this place that was selling covers. They were like two hundred fifty bucks, ten year warranty, dude. I got my whole boat covered, winterized, covered, put away in about six hours this year. And the cover literally took me twenty minutes to put on. I put it on last year. You know, you had to set it up the first time. Yeah, the first time you do it, it's kind of like, yeah, all right, well, how do we do this thing? But and yeah, this yeah. time around, it well, literally they, took all of twenty they minutes. Make one for mine. Yeah, yeah they I'll make, send they you make the link. Everything. Was it seal skins? Seal skin covers, yep. Yeah. Will they Every, go up and over the tower? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the tower? Oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, you know what, though? They have a zip on top. So, like, if you have a radar that's a little too high or something like that, you can zip it and fold it over, and I think it might be big enough to uh, to right go on. over the tower. I'm interested. Yeah, dude, 10-year warranty. They're great. And you know what the best part was? Um, so, I, what I've been doing, I clean my boat, like, spotless in the fall. I do it out in the driveway so there's no leaves and dirt in it. Put the cover on, and then I drive it and park it in the back. When I went into my boat last spring, it looked brand new, and it's breathable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's no mold and mildew, and it doesn't get, like, super hot or super cold. So this year, I've already been in it once to do some work on the boat. I had to change the speaker out, so I took the speaker out. But just things like that. It's got a zip on the side. You can walk right in. And you can do some on work two on sides. Yeah, it zips on two sides. And like I said, I roll it up. It oh, goes wow. in a bag. It's probably like two feet long. And I keep it in my garage, like hung up in the corner during the winter. And uh, it pays for itself at the time. Well, you know, I mean, I bought my Well, gut. think about it. Well, how much is it to get your boat shrinkers? Uh, Usually, what, what, 12, 15 bucks a foot? Yeah. It's depending on where you go. A few hundred bucks. You know, so if I had somebody do my boat, 24 feet times 15, what's that? About 350 bucks every year to get that so, done. The one thing I noticed is I, I saw, I can't tell you how many boats I've seen shrink wrapped and pulled 
and the fishing is coming alive. I Dude, mean, fishing's unbelievable right now. Kyle, don't don't even say that because here's the thing, man. <laughs> I this is the first year I wrap my boat before Thanksgiving. Every year I keep it out in the yard because we get kicked off the docks like October fifteenth or so. So I always keep it in my yard for like that one weekend where the bite's good and the weather's good. And for like the last 10 years, it's never happened. And the thing is, I'm out there winterizing my boat when it's 30 degrees and freezing yeah, it cold. Doing it in the and cold. it sucks. So this we year we had a nice weekend. All week. <laughs> we had a nice weekend two years ago. I'm like, Kyle's not going to be putting his boat away. I'll go on his boat if I want to go to a mission. One thing I could say last week, the uh, I was actually launching at Cashman's last week. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to say who, but we I came out. Had a little bit of a late start. Sun's been rising super super late lately, and um, got to work at seven o'clock today. It was pitch black. Uh, quarter seven. Correct. We were launching about. I say it was six thirty. Sun was just coming up. The 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 ramp at Cashman's was a sleet of ice. I mean, it was just oh, really? it was super super you know icy. It was slippery, and uh, I was I was backing up my boat by myself, waiting for my guys to come up, and I heard help help, and I didn't know what. I was almost like, I was looking back, like, who the hell's yelling? There's no one around. And a guy was at the dock, slipped off the dock, fell into the river. Oh, my God. The only thing he probably had going for him was the water was probably warmer than the air. Yeah. He yeah. was hanging onto the transom. And I sprinted over, and what really pissed me off is I was dumping out my, everyone those mesh trash bags, kind of hanging. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's looking <laughs> funny. I, uh... Dan got me on the Amazon shopping list <laughs> yeah. last weekend when we were winterizing the boats, and you know I was getting all my st- I was gonna order all my stuff online for the spring, so I didn't have to deal with it. Yeah. So I made a checklist, and I went down a rabbit hole. And I'm like, Dan, do you have look at this thing? A mesh trash bag because I use my bucket. And it's gross. I hate it. Yeah, yeah the bucket so, turns to shit. Mesh trash bags, awesome. Yeah, it's just awesome. Shit. Yeah, I, I bought one on Amazon. So for I like left, 20 bucks. I, I was dumping mine out at the time, and I left it on the goddamn public trash can to go run down the dock and uh pulled the guy out and um as we it was it was it was scary and pulled him out of the water no life jacket and um current was ripping tide was going out pulled him back up into the boat and um put him in the truck he warmed up for a while and it was just it just goes to show the point of story was i was actually getting off his boat and I slipped, and I almost fell in. No oh, shit. And that's how slippery it was. And it was just, you know, something you don't ever worry about. I mean, I, I, you know, we've, we've gone trout fishing quite a bit in the spring. Oh, yeah. And for two years, I was wearing a inflatable. You know, you pull the ripcord, it has a little yeah. CO2 cartridge. And um, for two years, I've had this stupid, you know, you're supposed to wear them through April, May, June, yeah. or whatever. You know, for two years, I've been wearing this life jacket. And I actually took it apart. I actually pulled it one day to see if it worked, and there was no freaking CO two cartridge in it. <laughs> in, in it. So I, I, had this, I had this pulled so, separately. Yeah, I had this false sense of security for the last couple of years, which is uh, pretty funny. Thank God I never needed it. Oh, and um, it's just one good example is just respect what the hell you're doing and be careful because it, it's kind of scary. I go out by myself quite a bit. I go offshore quite a bit by myself, and you yeah. think you think you're okay until you're not. Until you're not, you got to be prepared. So, Somebody on the forum uh, today actually uh, was getting in, once again to offshore fishing last next year. He's got like a twenty one foot boat, and uh, there's a good conversation going on about that right now about the kind of things to bring out. So I mean that could be a whole topic of conversation, you know, uh, another time. But um, yeah, you gotta be you gotta be prepared. Well, that's good. You saved somebody, you pulled someone out of the water. I thought the tuna gods would reward us. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was- I don't think. Uh, I don't think I ever Fallon saved a naked guy last year. Pulled the guy out of the water. He was in his like whitey tighties. 
<laughs> it was. Mike goes, what happened? He goes, ah, I was hot. I took my clothes off. And he fell. <laughs> 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 you got to hear Mike tell the story. When he, when he comes on next week with Gabe, oh, man, we'll get that going. I think you guys heard about the kids. There was a couple kids that drowned this year. Yeah, yeah kids. Kids, it was yeah. tragic, and there yep. was a there was a kayaker that went over this year in the flats, and uh, I think I was I think I was bass fishing the flats this year, and I heard I heard a boat on plane. He must have been zipping. He was cruising 25, 30 miles an hour. Yeah, and he hit that breakwater wall oh! every bit of twenty five, thirty miles an hour. And you just heard his poor outboard, oh. <laughs> and it's just um, you know how many. How many boats hit half tide rock this year? I mean, every year. Every Actually, year. this year was pretty good. Last year, dude. Last, last year there night, was like there was like three or four boats anomaly, like yeah. every storm. other day on the week. <clears throat> yeah. Every other day for like two weeks there was just, boats on half tide rock be, just sitting high and dry. Just be the hell careful and you know if you have any if you care about your family, your wife, your children, your business, your job, your career, don't go to an official. Don't. No? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't buy a tuna rod. Don't get out. I tell don't everyone. Do it. Don't the, get bit. In the early aughts, when these things first started coming around, the footballs, and that's when, like, Stellas first came out that could handle that kind of drag and braided line for started being popular and, you yeah. know, coming out, like, you know, early 2000s. And it was, like, it was, like, one of those great things where meshing technology with the situation that was happening and guys were going out there and getting them on spin rods. And, like, I mean, my first tuna I ever been a part of, we were on my buddy's 18-foot Boston Whaler that we took out of New Report to Stellwagen. We got on a middle bank. You know what nice. I mean? And, <laughs> you know, um, and that just opened up a whole new world for a lot of people. And then now it's like, all right, let's be smart about this. Let's make sure we have... You know, whenever I go offshore, you know, like even like the, if I'm on a shock trip, if I'm on a charter, I just text my dad. I'm like, hey, you know, we plan to be in at 3.30 tomorrow. So if you don't hear yeah. from me by like 5.30 texting you or whatever, like send out the search, you know. Sure. Yep. It's, uh, That's another thing that one talks about was just letting someone on land know that, you know, when you expect to be home. Bring and like, you know, give it a little leeway, obviously, but, you know, if it's three hours, four hours past when you're supposed to be, you're not getting a hold of anyone. Okay. Yeah, good thing I never tell my wife to send out the search party. Oh, God, she, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be home by dogs. one, like five o'clock. Yeah. Like, oh, that's so nice of you to show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, but the safety gear is, I kind of kind of bash the state a little bit for some of the, you know, commercial guys carrying all the life raft suits and e-perbs it's, it's mm -hmm. expensive nothing's cheap it's not, it's not a cheap sport i mean those regulations are so tough to follow too correct it's like all right but where we are understand. you fishing when you fishing what size boat you got like you really got to do your homework and make sure you're compliant I, I guess i understand it after seeing some of the tragedies and seeing how easy it is for somebody to go missing and yeah you know have the right shit have the right gear I mean, how many how many big down east boats, you know, came close to like flipping over in the mouth or half flipped over in the mouth, like on off days and stuff like that on the way in. So respected. There's no fish that's worth your life. No, definitely not. <laughs> There's really nothing out there that's worth your life. So be careful. Mm -hmm. Oh, that right day, me, you, and my dad went out this year. That 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 was bad. That it wasn't supposed to be, but when we got out there, it was pretty nasty. Oh yeah. Right, right when we're about to leave, we hook up. <laughs> Dude, that's that's a really good point because uh, just to, you know, getting crunched on time. But the other day we went out, I think I put it close to 150 miles. I mean, I zipped it. I mean, I'm talking from the mouth of Merrimack down to P-Town, back up, every hump in the world. Yeah. 
came back in. There was it was two days in a row, and it happened twice. So inside, I'd say it was really inside, really close. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, come into a pot of busting tuna. <laughs> so of course, I go out the next day. I work where we were marking fish, and do the same thing. Cruised it, and it was that. It was a super foggy day a couple weeks ago. We had two days of fog where I'm talking maybe 100 feet, 50 feet of visibility. Maybe, yeah. if you're lucky. And the river's sketchy right now for anybody out there. They got those dredging operations yeah, that are like, yeah, I saw yeah. a couple boats kind of super lost in the river. Yeah, we saw them a couple weeks ago when we went out, right? Yeah, it was... Uh, I think your mic's off. Hello? Hello? Yeah, it doesn't sound good, does it? Making a little funny noise. But the... Um, Is that better? Nope. <laughs> Hello? I keep talking off topics. Yeah, the guys that we were pointing the story was we were cruising. We put on endless miles. We went out. We had less than 150 feet of visibility. And at the end of our trip, both times, I'm talking the fish couldn't have come closer to the boat. And I'm talking, you know, 60 to 70 to 80 class fish busting by our boat, by our boat with zero visibility. And I think it's just. I've been fortunate enough to cruise and find, and I think it's just you have to put the time in. I've, I've discussed it over and over that there's just there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, the time is it, it literally almost seems like that half the time. There's no rhyme or reason. Like, what the hell are they doing here? Like, <laughs> we had a couple spots. Uh, we called them the twos and the threes because the last three digits were two two two, and then the other one was like three three three. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was on the inside of Stellwagen ish somewhere in there. And I swear to God, like we always saw fish there. Always saw, never, never another boat. Never another boat. Let's go to the twos. Let's try out the twos. Let's try out the threes, you know? And sometimes, you know, just a blind squirrel finds a nut, you know? It's just, it's, we're fortunate enough. And I think that it goes back to the point that it's tough, like, like bass fishing. You know, we've joked about guys that don't put any time in and go out and would like to think bass are relatively easy to catch. And we find them quite a bit, but. With the tuna fishing going out, if you're not on them every day chasing that bite, to consistently be good at it, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. a lot. It's a lot of water. All right, yeah, you got to be in tune with what you're doing. Get a good. I mean, yeah, I think of it, if you compare it to like deer hunting, right? <clears throat> deer hunting, there's a lot of pre-gaming that goes into that. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of, you know, you got to find where they're going. You got to figure out, you know, what you're going to do when you get that so you can get that opportunity. And, and a lot can be said about the same for tuna fishing. Like, if you're not out there and you're not seeing the ecosystem, you're not understanding where they're going or what they're doing, you know, odds are you're not going to be successful. So time in the woods, time in the water, two of the most important things you could possibly have. So you've talked to a lot of people, you know, you've been fishing with guys who charter tuna all the time. You went to South Carolina. You've been putting your own time in and, you know, basically two different locales up here in Newport or down south, down the Cape. Um, what have you found to be, like, some of the best advice you, or best things that you've learned or things that people have taught you as it comes to the top water tuna game? I think that, uh, I think, A, putting the time in. Yeah, for like sure. Said it, I think that, uh, you know, go back to Dan's reference, I think, Catching bluefin tuna on stick bait is like hunting for deer yeah. upwind up playing a boombox. I mean, right, it's, so it's yeah, it, it, it doesn't get any harder. But I think that um, 
you know, one of the good points, you know, I, was, I, I, I have the privilege of talking with Dom quite a bit about fishing and our structure, our structure changes quite a bit mm-hmm. from Stellwagen to Jeffries, mm-hmm. um, from the Cape to uh, our area. Mm-hmm. And, and we gets, it gets a much harder substrate when you come up here. And I think that it's, it's a much different, that different change in structure changes the behavior of those fish. And that's why we don't have fish up top as much. I mean, there's plenty of small fish around. Guys plenty. in the ball have been freaking whaling them the last couple of years. There are tons of fish around. I think that that's the problem is people don't see them. They don't think that they're here. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, same with, you know, what's going on with mackerel. There's billions. Billions of mackerel. I mean, They're just moving all over the place right mackerel now. around. Same with stripers. There's a lot of guys, and I get it, it's tough if you're slinging a piece of clam off the jetty and you're not getting stripers and they're not around. There's there's, fucking, there's millions of them. And mm-hmm. I think it's just, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is get out and find them. Um, yeah. They're, they're there. Yeah. And, and I understand it's not feasible for... So when you're out in the water, right, and you're running and gunning, I'm always looking for visual clues. Obviously, birds are a big thing, but anything else that you're looking for out there? I think that um, always looking for whales, always looking for marks. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's changed quite a bit is that that through the through haul on on my boat now, my current boat. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Um, about I'd say the beginning of last month, I did a long trip. I went there was I pulled up the southern. There was there had to have been close to 100 boats yeah. anchored on Southern Jeffries. All the whole commercial fleet before the market closed. I'm not a big fleet guy. I've always prided myself on going off on my own, finding my own fish. Mm-hmm. And this was one of my favorite stories of the year. It's a picture I sent you. Yeah. We uh, we started cruising north, and um, it, w- it was really funny. There was probably, we were up on a really northeast side of Jeffries. There must have been 10 boats anchored mm-hmm. on the ball. Fishing, we pulled up. I catch a bust. I zip one out. My boat was still moving. I, I, you know, I was on plane at about thirty plus knots. Yep. Came down to neutral. Boat still cruising. Zipped the cast. Got tight. Landed a really nice fish in front of an entire fleet. <laughs> it was it was one of those days that just it was it was so rewarding. Well, um, that was the same thing when we went out with Tim when we got the Mako and the Tuna. There was two or three boats anchored up. When we got out there, we we're like, oh, Christ. So we kind of moved off of them, like probably about a mile or two. And, you know, we, we saw a couple jump and that we hooked up and got them, yeah, you know? Did. I think so. that one thing, too, is I, I've learned, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a seasoned veteran tuna fisherman. And uh, I've, I've learned quite a bit that fishing with some guys who have been doing it quite a bit, that when those fish pop up, they seem to stay in the area. They move. At an unbelievable clip. I mean, those fish can move. Mm-hmm. They, they swim quick. But I've also learned that they seem to they seem to circle back. Mm-hmm. They don't swim in a north south pattern. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I've found that if you find busting fish in the area, they're chewing on bait. Um, especially if they're slurping and you see them on top. Um, a lot of times, they come back. Yeah, they come back up. Where I've made the mistake in the past, where I see the fish, I pull up, I try to get some casts in, they're not, it's not happening, and you seem to move on from the area. Yeah. Where I've grown to learn over time that there's fish in the area, they're, they're, they're around, they're going to come back, and, and it's, it's, it's worked to our success quite a bit where they've, they've come back up. One, one tuna trip that I had with my dad, it was July 2nd one year. I had the day off from, from the party boats, and um, we went down off of Halibut Point, and we get down there, and there's a mother feed going like just huge and i went to go cast and i had like the old school calstar 
double XH spinning rod, like super beefy rod, you know? And I, I went to go cast and I was just like, uh, nope, 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 those are too big. But then they were up the whole time. And my dad's a big troller, loves trolling. I don't know. That's that's like his thing, right? So he goes, Let's let's troll, let's troll. He's a big fish, let's troll with the fifties. Like, Alright, so we throw we throw the bars in, we're down by the rock pile there, and they're moving north. Dude, I am going out of my mind <laughs> for like a half an hour. These fish are like 50 yards in front of our boat, just jumping. I'm like, dude, I'm like, oh, what do we do? Are we ever going to catch them? You know, uh, this is, you know, at this point in time, I only caught like two tuna and they were the year before. So my dad's like, no, nah, typical dad. No, nah, let's just keep trolling. Don't worry. They'll stop. And after about like 20 minutes, a half an hour, they broke off to our starboard side and started falling back. And old Johnny V turned the bars right over him. Boom, rod goes off. At the time, we only had one harness. So it was my turn to catch a fish. He caught the last one the year before. So I get on that. He's clearing the lines. He's reeling up. And then we had 130 wide. And boom, that got hit as he was reeling up. So it was the two of us on a dead boat fighting these two fish that were around 78 to 80 inches or so. I got mine up first. Um, we, didn't have, we, don't, we didn't have a commercial permit back then. So I let the first one go, and then for the next hour, I drove the boat while my dad fought the fish without a harness on a 30 wide. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a, TL, a TLD 30, by the way. And so he must have been young and spry. Yeah. yeah, you know what? I gotta give him credit, dude. He he stuck on the rod the whole time. Yeah. Me, on the other hand, I was in the harness. I had the thing pushed up past strike at like 35, 36 pounds of drag. I go, dude, I'm gonna throw up, <laughs> which isn't much because I'm a big puker, anyways, with everything. So I got mine. Yeah, you know, I, I'm by myself, by the way. My dad's fighting his fish. So I'm like, oh, what do I do? I popped it in a rod holder real quick, just went down and just cut the hook, you know, real quick. Let it go. It was in good shape. I, I fought that one for like 45, and he was he was he was still spry. He was doing good. So my dad my dad's on his. I'm driving the boat, and uh, we ended up he ended up popping the hook just out of range because at that time you could keep one trophy. It still had the trophy quota where you can keep one over yeah, seventy. Yeah. Me and my dad don't really eat a lot of fish, so we weren't going to keep it anyway. So we ended up like we ended up just dropping it at the boat and. Uh, we looked out, we were about half a mile outside the MR marker. Wow. So we that fish dragged those hey, fish dragged us for about eight miles. Goes <laughs> to show. Yeah. And it was great. We came so I wasn't working on the party boat that day. So it was like eight o'clock. The half day boat didn't go yet. They leave at eight thirty. So we pull up and Fallon's there cutting bait. And he's like, Oh, you guys going out? Like, no, we're back there. We got two giants. He goes, Ah He was like, Damn it. <laughs> That kid's another one. He's a he's a tuna horseshoe man. To his, his success on. rate out there is ridiculous. He goes he goes and gets one every time he goes. It's ridiculous. You know what's funny is our last couple trips. We uh my my last trip we we, we struck out. We had a couple good looks, a few good boils on a stick bait, and uh, I was almost blown away we didn't get one. I was, <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I was I was shocked we didn't catch one. Where prior to my twenty two. You know, unsuccessful trips. <laughs> we had yeah. multiple, multiple hookups and multiple landed fish, and it was, um, it was, it was, it was tough to accept that we didn't get one the last trip. And it's tough to get spoiled like that because it's 
we, we have a great fishery in our area. I hate to, sometimes I hate to admit it because, you know, the southern guys have even better fishery than we do. Um, yeah, in terms you know, of species and stuff ter- like in that. In terms yeah. of species, yeah, in terms yeah. Of, of different variety of fish where they have backup plans and there's, there's all kinds of southern fish where they can go from. But, dude, there's something about going out there in October when it's cold and it's dark and the seas are a little bit rougher and 100%. you're putting your time in and, I don't know, those fish in that colder water, they fight harder. They're, they're more aggressive. They're about to migrate south. They're just trying to fatten up. You know, this is my favorite time of year. Yeah, I mean, everybody's home. All these boats are wrapped. Not mm-hmm. a lot of traffic out there. There's nobody out there, um, relatively speaking. Especially when that commercial quota gets yeah, and they shut that down. They shut that down. Yeah, those commercial boats are off. It's a, it's a playground to me. We get the whole ocean to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple boats out there. A bunch of bottom fishing. You see you see the Eastman's fleet. A few of the yeah, you know, those commercial fleets out fishing. But it's it's really cool to get out there, and I think it's just a hunt. Can we can we do a trip on Eastman's in like December for Haddock? You guys down for that? Just to get out there. I've always wanted to go, but no one ever wants to go. <laughs> I yeah, do. I'd, do it. I'd love to right. do a December trip, but I can be honest with you. Lorraine's making that enclosure for the pair, and <laughs> I, I have a buddy heater. I was telling Dan, I got a buddy heater mounted to the uh, mounted to the helm. And yeah, that's awesome. It's gonna get a little toasty in there, so I'm I'm, I'm excited to see what it goes what, and how far. I can what's push the name it. of Lorraine's business again? I forget. Is it? Coastal? Oh, geez, she's out of. It's, it's, right out of Hilton. She's right? one of the only ones. Yeah, she's out of Hilton. She's yeah. um, she's the legend. She's been doing it for yeah, she does a good job. years. She does a great job. I'm super excited to see the eyes and glass enclosure she's making for the boat. Are she's you doing wings or just doing? I'm doing the full enclosure. Full enclosure. Yeah. Yeah, just to uh, get the hell out of the weather and yeah, keep going and pushing as far as we can. And um, yeah, as soon as it ends up here, I'm trailing down. I spoke with John. I've been in touch with John down in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, John and Merv, and we'll be doing we'll be doing some cool trips December January down the Outer Banks. So I hope to drag you drag you guys down with me. I'm in. Trail yeah. the boat down and let me know those, when those guys have the especially in the spring. I think I'm going to leave the boat. I think I'm going to leave my boat down south for quite for the season. I don't plan on winterizing. I don't plan on shrink wrapping. I'll bring it down to Florida. We'll do some cool funny fishing down in Florida. Yeah, and then that um that yellowfin bite is is pretty cool john i listened to his podcast a couple weeks ago yeah about just gear terminal tackle um different tactics they were using he's a strict stick bait top water guy when yeah. it comes to yellowfin out of the outer banks and um, I, I can't wait to get out with those guys yeah um and do some cool cool funny fishing with them yeah, it's just you know when you go down to a place like that, you just never know what you're really gonna get. You know, just a just a different, it's just a different vibe. Totally different. different vibe. I, you know, I thought I bet those guys came up here, they would love this. Sh- they would love what we do. They would love chasing after the tuna. They would probably like striper fishing. You know, sure. So, I'm no, excited. we're very fortunate that we get to go around and meet different people and do these kinds of things. You know, yeah, we we get a good fishery. Get out and chase them. Get out and find them. They're there. And uh, especially right now, I think we have we have another good good month. I feel like I we think have a like, heat wave. We have a heat wave coming. This water temp's gonna. I think like seventy five percent of my tuna I've caught in like October. Yeah, September, October. So this is the time. And I think that temp that temp matters. Yeah, one to two degrees is a big difference. It is we have seventy degree weather coming up this week. Yep. And I don't think these fish are gonna go anywhere. No, it's we got a cold front coming Sunday. We gotta go Saturday. Yeah, there's a cold front coming. There's there's piles of bait going on and in, in the area. It's an inshore bite. Yeah. 
Shame on you if you're not out on it. <laughs> <laughs> Do the yard work next weekend. Yeah, that's what I tell my dad. Do it next wait. weekend. That's what I tell my neighbors. I, I, I fish. I don't, I'm sorry. My yard's a little fucked up. <laughs> I'm all it next week, but I'm, I'm fishing. But uh, yeah, we have a couple good weeks of it, man. So get out, chase them down, and get tight. Awesome, brother. Hey, Kyle, man. Thanks for coming out tonight. Yeah, it's good talking to you, buddy. This is good, good stuff. Thank awesome. You. Thank you for oh, having me, gentlemen. Oh, it was a pleasure to see you, brother. See you Saturday. Thank you, boys. Later. Look forward to it. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. That's Kyle Davis. All right. Tuna extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. <laughs> All right, man. Until next time. See Thanks you guys. for tuning in. See you guys later. Thank you.